Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. That's the great Mahalia Jackson uh, singing uh, one of her uh, uh, most uh, well-known songs. I'm going to, I'm going to the life I uh, uh, sing about. As you can tell from using that opening, uh, we're going to take a step away from politics uh, today. At least the politics of the Georgia legislature, or what's going on in the U.S. Capitol, and um, today take on uh, some of the social issues of our time. Uh, through the lens of uh, the great Broadway director, uh, but the man who got his big start in theater here in Atlanta, uh, Kenny Leon. Uh, Kenny won a Tony Award for his direction of Raisin in the Sun on Broadway, which starred Denzel Washington. The the play also won the award, uh, the Tony, for Best Revival. Uh, Sophie Okonedo, who was in that cast, won for Best Featured Actress, in a play, uh, but Kenny Leon has won an Obie Award, which is the off-Broadway equivalent of uh, the Tony. He uh, directed a production, a phenomenal production of the play Fences, August Wilson's play with Denzel Washington that was nominated for 10 uh, Tony Awards, including his work as uh, Best Director. He has done lots of television, including, you may recall, the NBC productions of, of The Wiz, and Hairspray Live, and um, he's got some projects that we're going to talk about today, including a new movie about Mahalia Jackson, which airs on the Lifetime Network uh, on the Easter weekend. In addition, Kenny has been given any number of important awards. One of the most significant that's probably not as well-known outside the theater community, but is very well-known inside, is the Mr. Abbott Award for Lifetime Achievement in directing. It's named after George Abbott, one of the legendary impresarios of Broadway uh, theater. He won the um, award uh, for excellence in directing from the Dranma League. Kenny serves on the board of New York's Public Theater. And um, for those of you in Atlanta, Georgia, he's also the founder of True Colors Theater, which continues to be uh, producing plays, at least we hope it will soon when the pandemic lifts at True Colors, which has been an, a, a, a real addition to the Atlanta theater community by giving African-American artists, African-American plays, actors, even more opportunities to be seen by the broad Atlanta theater community. Kenny Leon, um, I could say a lot more. You're also the author of Take You Wherever You Go, your memoir, which is a terrific book. And um, we're going to talk about a number of projects you're working on. I, I didn't mention the Netflix series Amend with Will Smith. That's an important contribution uh, we will uh, discuss. And we've got more we'll talk about. How are you, Kenny? I'm, I'm good. First things first, it's, um, it, it's great to be <laughs> above ground. And it's also great to be <laughs> um, in your presence, uh, Mr. Hall of Famer. And I want to acknowledge that uh, you've been inducted <laughs> into the Hall of Fame. I, I really do think that you and your um, uh, your, your listeners uh, do a great service. Uh, so uh, congratulations on that. And uh, <laughs> Thank I, you. I I have to also admit that I am uh, I, I, I love and respect you, but I, I love and respect your wife, you know, uh, as well. It's one of the <laughs> one of the writers I've worked with in the past. And uh, and I just want to shout out to her as well. Shanice Schaefer is just an amazing writer. But it's good to talk with you. It's good to be home. I've actually been, you know, since September 25th. Uh, I've been blessed to be working since September 25th up until, you know, this past Friday. So it's great to be with you, and uh, I'm excited to, to be here and to just have our dialogue. 
So we think, first of all, I haven't mentioned on the air. So what you're talking about, I last, late last year I was, or maybe the beginning of this year was named to the Georgia Broadcasters Hall of Fame, which is a, a lovely, a lovely uh, a thing to have uh, been recognized for. It just says, it just says that I'm really old in this business now. But I no. also think we have to say, <laughs> Kenny, it, as we, as we talk, um, we have known each other for almost 28 years now. You were the artistic director of the Alliance Theater when I first met you, and I met you through my wife, because Janice Schaefer worked with you at the Alliance. And so we've had a long time, your friendship. I was love, lucky enough to inherit uh, my friendship with you through Janice. And like many, many people in Atlanta, we've been so grateful to have had a chance to watch this incredible journey that you've taken as, a, as an artist, uh, both in theater, film, television. Um, I... It, every time I think I know what you're working on, I realize there are three or four projects I didn't mention. Um, but let me start with this, if I may. You know, you've got this Lifetime movie about Mahalia Jackson that we're going to talk about in more depth in a minute. But what, one of the things that's fascinating about that is your love for Mahalia Jackson predates your involvement in that project. You have a morning ritual I, that includes listening to her music, right? Well, that's sort of, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, um, I've been teaching a lot of uh, young folks uh, during the pandemic uh, at San Diego State University. And I always tell them, you know, my best work is yet to happen. And uh, I do feel that Mahalia Jackson is uh, an accumulation of all the work that I've done in my professional life. And it is all of my work is evident in the Mahalia Jackson story and all those people in Atlanta who started watching my plays uh, at the Alliance Theater and those who've come to Broadway to see my work. I think they can draw a line from the beginning to now. So hopefully uh, the story will impact you and, uh, and, and, and move you. But the whole ritual about Mahalia Jackson on March 12th of last year, I had a play on Broadway, a soldier's play starring uh, Blair Underwood and David Allen Greer, Rob Demery. Um, very successful production that has been nominated for seven Tonys for this year. On March 13th, after Broadway was shuttered, I had to come home to Atlanta. <laughs> like that was a hard task. But for the last 25 years, I have called Atlanta home, but 80% of the time I've been away um, doing the work. And so coming home on March 13th of last year was a different feeling. Uh, I was excited to come home and spend time with my wife who, uh, you know, I, you know, we, we're just not in the same city all of the time. But so that was different. And then uh, with grandkids, that was different, spending time with that. And so all that was good. But on the first day back to Atlanta in my, my town home in Cobb County, I was like, what do, what do I do now? You know, I'm not on an airplane headed to New York. I'm not in a Broadway rehearsal room. I'm, I'm not shooting a film at the back lot of NBC studios. I'm in Atlanta. And I don't know. What's my next next work? That that hasn't happened. So out of my own insecurity, my own fear of what to come next, I said, "Go back to your roots." Okay, let's 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 form habits here. Let's what what are we going to do tomorrow morning when you wake up in Atlanta, in your house, not knowing where you're going to go next? Okay, I'm going to put on the music of Mahalia Jackson for two hours because I grew up black, Southern and Christian. We went to church like seven days a week. My mom was a gospel singer. So I found comfort in putting on the music that she loved. So here we are in 2020 and I'm putting on Mahalia Jackson for two hours. And then I would pray for like two hours. And I never prayed that long as a uh, 
trying to be the best Christian that you could be. And I know you understand that being a, a, a man of faith yourself, you know, but it's like, okay, okay. Does God want to hear me preach for, pray for two hours? No, but he has to because of my, my, just where I am. So I pray for two hours. And then I recently learned how to meditate. And it's like, okay, just listen to your own heartbeat and, you know, just realize you are a small, small piece of this whole universe. So I would do that for like an hour. And then I just got a Peloton bike. And so then I would ride the Peloton bike for an hour. And then I would read. I'm really into James Baldwin, uh, Joe Neal Hurston. So I said, I'm going to read uh, writers who, who make me excited inside. And I'm going to read some of the plays that I haven't had time to read. So, and, so I'm working on mind, spirit, and body. You know, that's the best I can do. So when the pandemic is over, I'm going to be strong in all areas. So I did that, Bill, that routine. Mahalia Jackson, um, prayer meditation, exercise, reading. I did that for seven weeks, every day, seven days a week. Just, and it, and it brought me comfort. It brought me comfort. I got into uh, new books like Ryan Holiday uh, has a book called Ego is the Enemy. And so I got into understanding him. I got deeper into James Baldwin. Uh, and in the seventh week, of that routine and i'm feeling good i'm saying you know except for like in my family i lost two aunts and an uncle to COVID 19 and that is that was sad and i don't hear my mother cry often but that was the first time in a long time that i heard my mother cry because she couldn't be there with her brothers and sisters <laughs> with her sisters and brother when they needed her most. And she felt like their lives meant nothing because she couldn't be there um, uh, even at the funerals to say goodbye. And she couldn't be there when they were on their deathbeds. And so except for that, and except for missing being in the rehearsal hall, I felt like everything about the reset was good for our country, for our city, for our world. It was just good for us to use this time to correct the direction we're going, to understand our connectedness to each other in a more powerful, meaningful way. But in that seventh week, I get a call from Lifetime, and they say, we want you. And you got to remember, the last thing I did for Lifetime television was Steel Magnolias, which to this day yeah. still holds, holds the record for uh, 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 most viewers on a, on a, on a non-original show. And, and typical of you, Kenny Leon, you did the African American uh, production of Steel Magnolias. Yeah, it was just the, the way I saw it, you know. And I Queen Latifah, Felicia yeah. Rashad, it was a great cast. And um, so yeah. I get a call from Lifetime, and it's like, because I promised I wouldn't do anything else there unless it was very important, because that was a big mountain, you know, to equal the success of Steel Magnolias. I'm like, oh well, and they offer me, they said, Kenny, we want to offer you the, um, the lifetime production of the life of Mahalia Jackson. I'm like, what? Do you know I've been listening <laughs> to that music for the last seven weeks every day? No, they had no idea. Do you know that, um, you know, having an opportunity to tell that story encompasses everything about me, you know, black, uh, religious, Christian, yeah. um, Christian, you know, all that. No, we didn't know that. And they said, also, you can bring in, you, uh, we have a script and it's already green lit, but you can bring in a writer to work with you to get it to your satisfaction. And all we know is we have to start shooting it in October because it has to air Easter Sunday weekend. And I took that job. That was the first job you know, I had after the pandemic. And I thought like, oh, I looked, I was like, that is divinely inspired. I have to do that. And, I, and in fact, I called my mom and she's like, I don't care what else you're doing, but you have to do that. <laughs> God, people should know that your mother is an extraordinarily important force 
in your life and always has mm -hmm. been. Um, and, and, and so it's always wonderful to hear you tell stories about her. Um, so, Kenny, the Mahalia Jackson story, she was born in New Orleans. Her family was poor. Her father was a preacher, and that's where I think when she was like four years old, she began uh, singing and, and went on to this extraordinary career as a gospel singer. She resisted uh, becoming a blues singer or a jazz singer, which I think Louis Armstrong at one point said he wished she would do. She wanted to sing her Christian faith, right? Well, well yeah, but, you know, it's uh, she really, her mother died when she was really young, like four or five years old. Her father was not a real influence on her life. Her grandfather was. Her grandfather was really in the church, and her aunt raised her. And she was baptized when she was like 10 years old. And so uh, the story we're telling is it's not about a person who is anointed with a great voice and who's perfect. We're telling this story about a woman who is knocked down 10 times, but she gets up 11. And that is a, a universal message. And so when I agreed to do this, I said, I have a specific way of seeing this story. And I don't want to tell it about exceptional, extraordinary, uh, an exceptional, extraordinary person. I want to tell it about a person who found a way to get up one more time. And because we're looking at it through the lens of 2020, we get to look at a woman who lived through the first pandemic. You know, she was born in the early 1900s, but she lived in the during the pandemic of 1918. She lived during the Great Depression, 1929. She lived during the First World War, the Second World War, the Civil Rights Movement. So certainly, if she could live through all that and get up one more time, then that is something that we all could learn from. So I'm hoping that all of us find ourselves in her story on Easter Sunday. In, in 1963, uh, speaking to your saying she was knocked down and kept getting back up, in 1963, mm -hmm. Mahalia Jackson sat down for an interview with Studs Terkel, one of the legendary interviewers of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to play just a little bit of what Mahalia Jackson said in that interview because it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. I don't know. This thing, it's, it's peculiar. Um, when I'm on the stage and, and on television and working with white people, they just hug me and love me and say I'm so wonderful and I'm so great. And then when I'm walking down the street like an ordinary citizen, they don't uh, rec uh, recognize me. And when I go into the department store in the South, they, uh, I can't get a sandwich, I can't get a bottle of pop, I got to stand, I can't even get a cab. And I'm just the Mahalia Jackson that they got through saying how wonderful I am. What, what I don't understand is what, what make people act like that? As Dr. Martin Luther King said, walk together, children, don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. And this promised land is right here in America. I was born here and ain't going here. Expect to die right here, too. If they kill me for freedom, then I'll be, be buried on the land of free. Kenny Leon, so... Mahalia Jackson acknowledges that she is treated differently because of the color of her skin, but she still calls America the land of opportunity, the promised mm -hmm. land. That's important. Well, absolutely, and that's another thing we're going through now with the with the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. You know, uh, I'm reading a book now by Eddie Glaude called "Begin Again." You know, we we had an opportunity uh, in the aftermath of slavery. Uh, reconstruction. We had an opportunity after civil rights uh, to get to get it right, to get uh, closer to a more perfect union. And this last um, four or five years gives us another opportunity to get it right. You know, this after this pandemic and epidemic, we have an opportunity to get it to get it right. And um, you know, and I'm like, I'm like Mahalia, you know what I mean? I ain't going nowhere. I'm standing here to, <laughs> through storytelling to fight for uh, a more precious, uh, better America. And, and the thing that 
going back to the, the Mahalia story, you know, the, to what made it right. I, just listening to your tape there, Bill, of, uh, of Mahalia, I, for five seconds, I couldn't tell if that was Mahalia or Danielle Brooks. And <laughs> Danielle Brooks was the first thing I said to Lifetime uh, about the casting uh, of the role. I was like, I just worked with Danielle Brooks uh, as Beatrice in Shakespeare in the Park, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. And she is the woman to do this because she has the acting chops and the singing chops. And uh, she grew up Southern like I did. Her mother is a Southern bishop. She is truly the one to play the role. And 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 it eventually, Lifetime believed me, accepted that, supported that, and I think uh, the world will be amazed at what she what she brings to this role. And we always going uh, so, in. I said, I, go ahead. I said I wanted I us just to be. Gonna... I wanted us to be seventy percent. 70% Mahalia Jackson and 30% Danielle Brooks. So it's uh, <laughs> artist's, artist's interpretation of Mahalia Jackson. And that way, I think the story will feel alive to viewers in 2021. So uh, just really quickly, Danielle Brooks, uh, people would know her if for no other things for Orange is the New Black. She was one of the leads mm -hmm. in, in, in that Netflix series. You cast her in your extraordinary production of Much Ado About Nothing, which won great acclaim, uh, an African-American production of the play. And Danielle Brooks herself talks about how startled she was when you called her to offer her the part because she said, here I am, an African-American woman. I'm plus-sized. I have my natural hair. And Kenny Leon wanted me for the lead in this show. And, of course, she won uh, great reviews, as did your entire production of that play. And by the way, if you're a PBS Passport uh, uh, person, you can watch that production. PBS filmed that production, and it's still on the PBS website if you're a, a, a member. And I was fortunate enough to get to see that show, and it was spectacular. So for when you bring her in um, to do Mahalia Jackson, uh, it's just another part of your career in which you don't people who who you learn to love and respect you bring them with you yeah but i also think that i was talking to my <laughs> my brother about this yesterday he said how do you know i said what do you mean how do you know he said how do you know who's right for roles i said tony it's like different directors have different skills different gifts if i don't know anything i think i know talent you know, if I look at my career and I look at uh, casting Lauren Ridloff and Children of a Lesser God, you know, a stay-at-home deaf mom who hadn't ever acted before. And now she's the, in the, uh, the first deaf superhero in a Marvel uh, movies. You know, if I look at how we brought um, Shanice Williams to The Wiz Live through a, a, a big audition and, 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 and Maddie Ballio for Hairspray Live and... So I just have, an, I think, an eye for, for talent. I may have other flaws, but I have a good eye for talent. And I don't have to, I don't have to depend on someone's resume. I just, the eye test is the eye test. And uh, so uh, Danielle Brooks was my Mahalia from day one. I couldn't imagine doing this without her. And then when you start realizing that I wanted to originally shoot this in Georgia, because we get through through tax dollars in Georgia, we're able to bring a lot of the film industry to Georgia. But because of the pandemic, we weren't able to shoot here. So we ended up shooting this story in Vancouver. And with that uh, comes the challenge of how many American actors can you have in the production? So they said, well, Kenny, you can have Mahalia, but that's, I don't know, maybe one more. But God blessed this project to allow us to have five other Americans. And they are from, a lot of them from Atlanta, Georgia. Jakina Calatango, who was in Slave Play on Broadway, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Jakina plays Mildred Falls, the piano player and best friend of Amelia Jackson. Rob Demery plays the role of Dr. King. He is from Atlanta, Georgia. And Jason Durton, who did Ceremonies and Darko Men at, for True Colors a while back, 
plays um, the romantic lead. So I'm very happy with this cast. Okay, um, I've got to get to a break in a minute. But before I do, you just mentioned uh, Dr. King and his participation mm-hmm. and the fact that he's a character in this uh, uh, movie about Mahalia Jackson's life. By now, it's a pretty well-known story. But Mahalia Jackson, of course, sang uh, during the March on Washington. And it was Mahalia Jackson, who people now know, kind of interrupted Dr. King as he was giving a speech that was not exactly lighting the crowd on fire. And I'm sure you replicate that. What does is, what is Mahalia lean forward and say to Dr. King? Yeah, Dr. King was going on with his speech, and he, he it wasn't the way he wanted it to flow. And she was about five or six people down on the left, and she says, Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. <laughs> and if it were not for Mahalia Jackson, he probably would not have went into that improvisational uh, refrain of I have a dream. And so it, it is a woman responsible for the I have a dream speech in America's history. I, I, I've got to take a break. But you know what, Sam, uh, let's use... Mahalia Jackson at the March on Washington, the song that she sang there, this is a newsreel uh, a clip, so the, the audio is a little scratchy, but she sang, I've been buked and I've been scorned. The lyric is, I've been buked and I've been scorned, children. I've been buked and I've been scorned. I've been talked about, sure as you're born. There is trouble all over this world, children. There's trouble all, all over this world, but I ain't going to lie down my, lay down my religion. I ain't going to lay down my religion. As we go to break, here's Mahalia Jackson singing at the March on Washington. Ben in Jackson uh, singing one of the songs that our guest today, Kenny Leon, suggested he'd love uh, to hear. Ab, we, as I think most of you who listen to the show know, we use WebEx to be able to see each other, and I'm watching Kenny uh, uh, sitting there singing the song along with Mahalia Jackson. <laughs> uh, Kenny Lamb, before we move on, um, your movie about Mahalia Jackson will be mm-hmm. on the Lifetime Network on Easter Sunday, right? It's, it's, uh, it actually is going to air on the Saturday, April 3rd at oh. 8 p.m., and then it's going to repeat on Sunday at 8. But the first okay. performance is on Saturday. And I just should just listen to that wonderful music. I'm reminded that um, Matthew Head, uh, a musical composer who lives in Atlanta, works in Atlanta, uh, only works in Atlanta, will not go anywhere else to work, he uh he composed all of the music and the score for this film. So I'm so proud of uh, uh, another Georgian, a Georgian's contribution to this great masterpiece. We'll look forward to uh, that. By the way, just a quick story for me. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, of course, and I had a number of good friends who lived in Chatham on the south side of Chicago, which they were very proud of the fact. They lived down the street from Mahalia Jackson in what was an upper middle class neighborhood of uh, African Americans on the south side of of Chicago. So I always think about them when I think about her life and, and career. Kenny, let's let's move on. I I'd like to go back in your career a little bit, um, if I can, because I think it was so important to events that had already taken place, but that were going to again take place last summer when we saw George Floyd. Uh, shooting Breonna Taylor. Uh, we saw Rayshard Brooks here in Atlanta, African-Americans killed by police officers. You directed the Broadway production of a play called American Son with Kerry Washington. It's a play that takes place in real time. Kerry Washington, 
a mother who has come to a police precinct to find out what's happened to her son who's just turned 18 years old. And the entire play takes place as she is trying to learn what's happened to him. Uh, she knows he's, got, he's in trouble. She doesn't know how serious it is. If, you, if I can, before we talk about it, I'd like to play just a little bit of the trailer for that movie because I think it establishes some of the themes that are so important in that movie but then became so important in the dialogue people had last summer over around Black Lives Matter. Let's listen to some of the trailer from American Son, which then aired on Netflix. My son never came home. Look, I'm sure that he's going to turn up. First name? Jamal, J-A-M-A-L. Does he have any distinguishing scars, tattoos, gold teeth? Uh, does he go by any street names? He doesn't have a street name. There was an incident. What does that mean? Further information needs to go through Lieutenant Stokes. I don't know him personally. They told me that he's been paged to come down here immediately. I want to know now. Man, I'm glad you're here. She went from, like, zero to ghetto and nothing flat. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Where's our son? Ma'am, I have kids, too. Any of them black? Excuse me? So, um, Carrie Washington talking to a young white police officer who is relatively oblivious to her pain, and he throws back at her, Kenny, all of these racial stereotypes, and only responds, at, he, he says, we hear him say, she went to her husband, who's white, who walks in to help her, he says, she went, she, he doesn't know that this is her husband, her white husband, she went from zero to ghetto and nothing flat. And I think that establishes a lot of the themes in the, in the, in the play, the film, and that are, became so pertinent even last summer. Yes? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, that's, I'm sitting here almost uh, with chills thinking about the role of artists in our world and how we affect and impact change. You know, I was thinking about when we did Much Ado and, and, and I set much ado in the future in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had a sign that said Stacey Abrams 2020. I wasn't trying to be political. I was just trying to let people know where the play took place. And I was, we did that play in 2018. And then so people look at the PBS film and they think like, oh, wow, how did you know that she was going to be so, so uh, <laughs> in, influential? I didn't. But, or, or when we talk about American Sun, like, what comes first, the, the art or the reality? And I think we're always responding to what's happening in our, in, in our world. And um, one thing I'm excited by, when I visit young people in, in, in colleges and, and have them in Zoom classes, I'm encouraged by these young people. I know some people have uh, doubts about where we are and where we're going, but I'm encouraged about black and brown and white and yellow young people because they have a respect for difference that many in our generation didn't have. They have a respect for every kind of difference, you know, and some of it may be hard for some of us to, 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 to deal with, but I'm encouraged by the, by their uh, respect uh, for difference. So when I look at American son, I hear three or four people in this police station all struggling with, you know, what it means to be true to themselves, what it means to be American. What it, and I just think we got to keep listening. we got to keep listening to each other. I learned so much with that film of American Son. And what I learned was basically taught to me by Kerry Washington. I thought I was a liberal, fair-minded person. But Kerry taught me how to respect the female voice more, how to respect uh, women even more than I was. And what she said, Kenny, she said, Kenny, this is a film about a woman at 4 a.m. in a room with three men with guns. Even though one of them happens to be her husband and then another guy she doesn't know. But it, it, made, it, just, it, it just teaches me, to like, don't worry so much about what you think and what you say. Worry about what you hear what you hear around you and just step back and try to leave space for others. So I'm trying to do that more and more with, with the work 
You know, even when I was doing Children of the Lesser God and got, got to spend time with the deaf, deaf and hard of hearing community, I, I, I grew from that production. And then when I was an American son, um, I grew because of the female presence in the room. And when I did Much Ado About Nothing with uh, Danielle Brooks, I learned about uh, uh, images and how images control us. And, and, you know, when Danielle was teaching me about plus-sized women and started talking to me about dark-skinned women. And, you know, even when I look at Mahalia Jackson, I'm so proud of that because three of those women, Olivia Washington, Denzel Washington's daughter, Jaquina Calacango, and Danielle Brooks star in the movie. They're the three top leads in that movie, and all of them are dark-skinned women. And even little trivia things like that, when have you seen a movie where three dark-skinned women carry the movie? So I think we can, we can, uh, we can grow and we can learn from each other. So I, I'm radically optimistic about, uh, about our future and about the possibilities of what we can do in the entertainment world to impact and change our world. Um, first of all, we should say that Kerry Washington, when the play first um, uh, premiered on, on, on Broadway, uh, mm-hmm. got rave reviews. Uh, Jesse Green in the New York Times, who covers your work extensively, he's, been, he's followed you for a long time now, uh, raved about her. Her performance, the, the, that picture is still available on Netflix, and I really encourage people to watch it. It is riveting. And uh, her performance, Kenny, is so heartbreaking. But what's interesting, two things about it that I find interesting. One, the script was written by a white playwright. And Mm -hmm. and that was kind of shocking to me because from my white perspective, it captured the black experience in that place so well. And yet here's a white playwright. And the other thing that I found fascinating was that Kerry Washington isn't necessarily always sympathetic in that Role. There are times when you sort of want to say to her, back off, you know. <laughs> so both of those were interesting to me. Well, I think, uh, this is my own personal belief, I think that truth is truth. And there's certainly things that are, are wrong in our society and are challenging. And so when you look at it, you look at, hey, doors are not open enough for women. They're not open enough for people of color. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, when we get through this, this, this next step, it can't be just about the numbers. The numbers are an indicator of what we are doing wrong and what we're not paying attention to. But, you know, when we get past the first step, then we got to understand that, you know, a good idea can come from any, anywhere. You know, white, black, brown ideas are good ideas. And Chris, uh, who wrote uh, American Son, he was just, he's, he's a brilliant lawyer and a brilliant writer. And I think the combination of what he put on the page and who we had in the room, you know, Jeremy Jordan, Stephen Pasquale, Eugene Lee. So you had a combination of black and brown and white uh, people working, working together to, 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 to pull this thing off. So, um, you know, it's like, I don't mean this in a flippant way, but. They're good white people and they're good black people, you know, yeah. good people. And uh, we have to all work to um, just create a, a more precious uh, country. All that said, um, in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing um, last summer, last spring, um, you uh, became part of a community of African-American artists, uh, primarily in New York, forming an organization called Black Theater United. It was Audra McDonald. I mean, some of the greatest names in American theater, Audra McDonald, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Felicia Rashad, who you've worked with innumerable uh, times, uh, Lashans, um, just an extraordinary group. And you came together to say, essentially, uh, there needs to be reform and, um, and, and, and and a... and a way to combat systemic racism within the theater community and, of course, in the larger world beyond that. Having said that, you also, though, extend an olive branch to the white community, which some of the other black artists in New York did not want to do. They were much more militant. So tell us about what your approach is with Black Theater United. Well, I think with any 
shall we call it revolution. Any revolution, it takes everybody. Uh, so I am not, um, I'm supportive of all organizations trying to do right, trying to rid the country of systemic racism, which is uh, a real thing in our world. But um, with, um, and, and, and with Black Theater United, first of all, I want to honor the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. You know, I don't think we should use uh, dead deaths and, uh, and, and, and a way that perpetuates uh, where we want to go personally. But I think it was a, it was, it was a, a moment in time, George Floyd represented a moment in time when America said enough is enough. And for those those of us in Black Theater United, the 19 founders and, and um, most of us who are in, engaged in Broadway theater, we wanted to use uh, the memory of George Floyd to do something that would impact change uh, that lasts long after we're gone. So we could see the racism in front of us in our world, on the Broadway stages, uh, behind Broadway stages, the challenges of how do you diversify unions and, 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 and how do you get black people involved with that? And purposely, uh, the, the, our, our name says Black Theater United. There are many organizations that are supportive of uh, the term uh, BIPOC and, and people of color. And we're, we're all supportive of that. But we think that this moment is really about us dealing with our original sin uh, of, of slavery and focuses on uh, because what happened uh, to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, those are black people, you know, those are an American son. Those are black people specifically being pulled over and killed. Um, so we wanted to focus on um, uh, black inequalities. And we think that, you know, if we could raise that boat, then all other boats rise as well. But that doesn't mean we don't have a lot to do with uh, issues that uh, affect BIPOC people. So we're supportive of all that. We're just focused on black uh, inequalities in our industry, on stage, uh, in our institutions. We wanna draw a line from, for instance, historically black colleges to commercial Broadway theater. How does a kid go from uh, graduating Clark Atlanta University and then figuring out a way to make a living in the commercial theater. So we wanna, we wanna mentor students to help draw that line. We wanna use where we are to, to, to push back on producers and, and theater owners to, 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 to do differently, um, to, 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 to make our industry better. So that's our focus and it's a wonderful group of people uh, led by Audrey McDonald and LaShange. You, you did say um, last year during a, a lot of the attention being focused on uh, African-American participation in, in, in general as equals in our society, uh, you did say that when it came to Broadway, there were basically two directors of color who got work on Broadway, you and George C. Wolfe, who, of course, for years ran the public theater and went on to a, a career as a commercial uh, director. So you do feel as if the door needs to open wider. Look, man, what I said is that um, there there are maybe a couple more uh, black directors, directors for Broadway, but, you know, George Wolf and myself, we get a handful. But if you compare that to other directors of our stature, they get a lot more. So it is uh, the great white way is still the great white way. And... Ooh. Um, Ooh. Um, but I think we're at a moment in time where, where our white colleagues are listening. And that's what's different now. You know, they're listening. Um, they see how we can make this different. And, 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 and I believe, I choose to believe that in this moment that my white friends and colleagues will do the right thing to effectively work together to make a real change, but we we have a we have a long way to go in our country. Yeah. We have a long way to go on Broadway. I love. I just got to work with Ava DuVernay on the Colin Kaepernick uh, story for Netflix, and she is my 
Ava is my shero. She has um, she's made changes in 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 the in the television and film uh, industry in terms of uh, black and brown people behind camera, in front of camera, beside camera, and that's what it's, it takes. It takes people like that to continue to do the work. Um, you have people that in Atlanta, Will Packer, who's doing the work. Um, but I think they're good white and black people that have to step forward to, to make this happen. And if you're in a position of power and you're white and you're not listening and you're not doing it, then shame on you. By the way, we, okay, we got to get to a break, but just for people who, when they hear the name Ava DuVernay, they say, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. She really came, burst on the scene with her direction of the picture uh, Selma. She did a remarkable documentary for Netflix called 13th, which talks about uh, incarceration of African Americans. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're now working with her on the Colin Kaepernick story, which I didn't know was public knowledge. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a very <laughs> exciting project. We'll look forward to that. Got to get our final break of the show out of the way. Let's listen to a little more of Kenny Leon's Mahalia Jackson music as we go into this break. Politics of the day on this Friday edition of Political Rewind. You're listening to Mahalia Jackson, who is the subject of Kenny Leon, our guest's new movie for Lifetime, uh, about her extraordinary life as a gospel singer. Um, Kenny Leon, uh, you're also breaking, I I don't know that it's a completely broken barrier, but you are making a move that I also think is interesting in terms of expanding your work in theater. You are now the producer on an, a, a Broadway musical that you hope the pandemic will end and allow to get started. Just give us a, a quick uh, a couple of uh, words about that. Well, there are a couple of things I'm doing uh, that I've taken home now in my last half of my professional life. Uh, I am the new senior resident, uh, artistic di- senior resident director for the Roundabout Theater, working on mm-hmm. uh, initiatives, to uh, uh, change the idea of what a revival is so that we don't just always think of Death of a Salesman, Moon for the Misbegotten. We think of Amen Corner, Ceremonies in Dark Old Men. So I want to change that idea. Uh, and also I want to draw a line for uh, uh, black directors to, to find a way to be competitive uh, in the commercial industry. So that's happening. And then I'm also, I want to spend more time as, uh, as, uh, w- learning what it takes to be a producer in the commercial Broadway world. So I'm working on, uh, on the, the, the lead producing team of some like it hot that's, uh, coming to Broadway, uh, uh, next year. And I'm excited to work with, uh, B- Bob Winkle and Neil Marin and Rob- Bob Greenblatt, who used to be with NBC Universal and um, uh, uh, um, Roy and Nick. And, and it was like four or five of us were producers. But, yes, I am a producer on one of the producers <laughs> on some, some Like It Hot, but I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I'll bet. Some Like It Hot, which many people remember. I certainly do. Great, great uh, comedy. Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe. It's going to be Wonderful. It seems like a perfect vehicle for putting on on Broadway and and adding music to Kenny. Yes, Casey Nicola is directing, so I just can't wait to oh. see what it looks like. <laughs> um, we're we're really running short on time, and and um, it, it, I want to mention we're not going to have a chance to talk about it. But another project of yours that I really would recommend people watch because it plays into so much of what we talked about. Excuse me in the show is um, you were a director on a project called Amend, which Will Smith hosted, and it tells the story of the 14th Amendment, which if anybody know, if people really know what it is, it's about birthright citizenship. If you are born in the United States, you are a citizen, and therefore you are accorded all the rights of all citizens. It was an extraordinary moment in history 
in the 19th century, but African-Americans, uh, gay people, and others have had to continue to struggle for the fulfillment of it. It's a wonderful series, Kenny. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's a six-part series that I directed uh, all the episodes, and it stars uh, Will Smith, Samuel L. Jackson, and Mahershala Ali, all taking on historical figures, but we set it in uh, contemporary uh, places. Uh, but, you know, the 14th Amendment was designed for for to deal with the, the aftermath of slavery and citizenship. But, of course, that didn't happen. You know, we became three-fifths of a person. And to this day, we still use the Electoral College, which was grounded in that three-fifths uh, of a person document. So we'll come back and talk longer about uh, the Electoral College, uh, where it came from. Um, also, just historically, what does it mean to be a respected human being in our country? So we have a long way to go to and, be and that's, a more and that's precious one of the country. And, and Kenny, as we close, it's that. First of all, I think I just heard you say you'll come back and do the show again, which is one of the nicest things I've heard it today. <laughs> but more important, you remind us, theater, perhaps more than anything else, it's so extraordinary to how we come together to try to look at the world in ways that bring us, to unite us instead of dividing us. And I think we miss theater right now, the ability to come together in live spaces and share in the experience of seeing other people deal with their lives as we hope to deal with ours. We miss it greatly, don't we? We do. And But I'm so excited that I think that theater is going to start coming back in the summer and then into the fall, and certainly by the beginning of, of next year. But at this time, it reminds me of uh, just we're all here for just a small amount of time. So it's how we impact each other's lives, how we share our stories, and how we can become better to each other and for each other. Kenny Leon, I'm so grateful that you spent an hour talking with me on this show. It's always such a pleasure to hear what you're thinking about these days. Uh, the Mahalia Jackson uh, movie, Amend, American Son, uh, the project you're going to do with Colin Kaepernick. I can't even mention everything that's on your plate or that you've accomplished already. So, Kenny, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being with us for another week of Political Rewind. We'll be back, of course, with another show on Monday. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and if you haven't had your vaccines yet, make a plan to get one soon. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>